0: you would turn with me in your bibles exodus chapter 20 we're continuing in the 10 commandments if you've got one of the bibles in the seats nearby that's on page 61 we're going to read of that amazing grace to us as we read the beginning verses of chapter 20 where we're reminded that the lord has redeemed us and has brought us out of slavery to sin And that He calls us to respond in obedience to His commandments. So we'll start Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll jump down to verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not steal. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for this time we've had to worship you and to sing praise to your name, to be reminded of your amazing grace to us in Christ. We pray now, Lord, that as we study this commandment, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that we would see our need to trust you and to to give generously. And to be good stewards as you have called us to. So we pray that you would help us this day. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So several years ago in Henderson County, North Carolina, I was summoned to jury duty. That means in the state of North Carolina, I made $12 that day. And so I was brought into a room I made the first cut I guess and I was brought into a room with a number of potential jurors for the case of a lady who had stolen merchandise from Belk and the process began for the seating of jurors and uh, some of you have been through this so you kind of know what that's like but they invite you to come take a seat uh, in the jury they you know one two three four five six And then the prosecuting lawyer will ask questions, and then the defense lawyer will ask questions. And so in Henderson County, North Carolina, you know, it took a little while to kind of get that jury full, because a lot of times they ask, do you know somebody? And so, you know, oh, yeah, my cousin's neighbor is the brother of, you know, somebody. That sort of thing was happening. Well, then this lady got called to the stand, and it got really interesting really quick. Because the question came, do you know anyone in this courtroom? And her response was, yes, I do. I know the arresting officer. Well, how do you know the arresting officer? Well, one time at Belk, I had an encounter with him. And basically, in her past at some point, she too had stolen from Belk. Needless to say, she was uh, sent home and not allowed to serve on the jury. In case you were wondering, they did call me up there. And so the prosecuting lawyer asked me a question. Mr. Russ, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, okay, great. No further questions. (laughs) He was rooting for me. The defense lawyer stands up and said, what did you say you did? And he said, well, you can go home for today. Thank you very much. (laughs) But my my lasting memory of that day was that lady there doing her duty, showing up for jury duty, being summoned potentially to serve on the jury of theft from belt, knowing that she too at some point in her life, she had done the exact same thing and knew the arresting officer. Why do people steal? Once again, we, we come to a commandment that maybe on the surface we might be tempted to dismiss or think that we kind of have a handle on. Well, I've never gone into Belk and taken something. I have not, to my knowledge, committed fraud or tax evasion or anything of that sort. Yet, once again, we'll see that this commandment, like others, it, it goes beyond the external. It goes below the surface in exposing our sin and our need for the amazing grace of God in Christ Jesus. So here's where we're going this morning. First, we're going to talk about how the Eighth Commandment, it reveals the heart of man towards God. And secondly, we'll talk about what the Eighth Commandment forbids. Thirdly, we'll talk about what the Eighth Commandment requires of us. And then finally, we'll talk about grace for those who are caught up in thievery. So first, we we're going to see that the Eighth Commandment, it reveals the heart of man towards God. There are many questions that we're going to ask today of ourselves in regard to this commandment. But the big question behind the eighth commandment is, do you trust God? And behind that question is a whole bunch of assumptions. The scriptures make the case that God owns everything. As part of his sovereignty over creation, everything belongs to him. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, or the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. His creation belongs to him. And Psalm 50 talks about all the beasts of the forest, the cattle in a thousand hills, the birds of the air. They all belong to the Lord. First Corinthians 6, in a redemptive context, it tells us that we are not our own. That we were bought at a price. That we were redeemed. And that we too belong to God. And so to begin to examine this question of stealing is to really talk about what we think of God. Do I believe that God owns everything? That it belongs to him? That I'm I'm not the owner, but a steward of what God has given? Do I believe that I belong to God? And then it follows, if that is the case, do I trust him with what he provides for me? Is what God provides enough? Or am I looking for something else beyond that provision? Or something in place of that provision? And then furthermore, do we believe that God is good? In the words of James, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Do we believe that God is good? These questions are meant to reveal what our heart is towards God, where our treasure is, where our trust is. And that brings us to the posture that we are called to that we'll see as the sermon goes on, that we're called to as those who trust in God and his provision. We're called to contentment. Because a lack of contentment or being discontent Leads to a number of things. It can lead to coveting. Because someone else has something that I don't have. And therefore I must find a way to get it. Perhaps by any means necessary. Can lead to self-centeredness. If I'm not content with what God has provided. I need more for me. Therefore I'm going to go get it. Perhaps by any means necessary. And also, discontentment can lead to stinginess, where I, I need to, to hoard what God has provided and keep it. And therefore, I cannot give generously. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says this But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Paul calls us back in his letter to Timothy to remember that we did not bring anything with us when we got here. Accept that which God had provided. And he calls us then to contentment. With the necessities of life that God gives and provides. And he gives the warning. That when we look beyond the provision. And say hey I need more. And then we look beyond the provider. And say he hasn't given me enough. Then discontentment sets in. And then the path Opens to look elsewhere for that which we are only to look to God. Hebrews 13 5 says keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For God has said I will neither leave you or forsake you. What an amazing comfort the scripture is for us. Can I trust God? Will, will he provide? Or do I somehow need to chase what everyone else has and make sure I'm keeping up? God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Money will leave you. Power will forsake you. People will leave and forsake you. God will never leave you or forsake you. He who provides for you will also sustain you and give you what you need. And we're implored here to trust him and to rest in contentment. One final note here is we consider our heart towards God. There's a kind of a short prayer in Proverbs 30, which I think is helpful for us here. It says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So friends, this commandment, first and foremost, it is a matter of the heart, of our heart towards God. But then we need to ask the question, well, how is it that we break this commandment? What are the things that God forbids in the eighth commandment? So we come to our second point, that the eighth commandment forbids stealing in all forms. The most obvious application here is that we're not to take that which belongs to another person. Right now, you may have pictured in your mind You know, the bank robber wearing that mask, you know, going going in for the stick-up, saying, give me all your money to the bank teller. Or maybe think more, perhaps in modern day, we think of someone behind a computer somewhere, right? And they're taking identities and they're using other people's credit cards. One time when we were in Charlotte in the seminary student days, I don't know why they targeted me. I was a seminary student. There's nothing there. (laughs) But... They, uh, someone took my credit card number and they used it to rack up a phone bill, a couple hundred dollars with a psychic network in the state of California. And, I mean, to this day, I wish I would have called the, the psychic network and say, Hey, do you know who did this? Um, but the so we see we see these things there's a there's a number of forms in different ways that people can steal we need to know also the scripture it calls us to honesty in our business dealings or our dealings with neighbors proverbs sixteen eight, which is one of many proverbs that speaks to these things it says better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice We've all seen on a large scale, maybe on the news in the story, or maybe we've seen it on a small scale happen in our lives with someone we know. What happens when fraud is committed? What happens when people dodge their taxes? What happens when someone is taken advantage of? Earlier we read in the Heidelberg Catechism a few examples. God not only forbids outright theft and robbery. But in God's sight, theft also includes scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether that's by force or means that appear legitimate. Inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. And then it notes that God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. There seem to be endless possibilities here of what we could talk about in regards to stealing. Stealing ideas, stealing time, false advertising, family land squabbles that lead to theft. One thing we want to consider this morning is how this commandment intertwines with all the other commandments. Many commentators have noted the relationship amongst the commandments and that often to break one commandment is to break another at the same time. For example, here, if you think about the first four commandments, which are concerned with the glory of God due to Him alone, to violate those commandments is to steal glory that's due to God. To violate the fifth commandment by withholding honor to parents or to those in authority is to steal honor from them. To violate the sixth commandment is to steal a life. To violate the seventh commandment is to steal a wife or husband. To violate the ninth commandment, it steals the truth. And we've certainly seen where bearing false witness often accompanies theft. And then the tenth commandment, of course, coveting. I said the heart of stealing to begin with. So maybe we didn't pick someone's pocket on the way here today or shoplift something recently. But as we begin to ask these questions and examine ourselves and examine our hearts, we see here that we're to count ourselves as one among the thieves. And that's just a sample of what this commandment forbids. But we also want to see this morning what this commandment requires. It so the eighth commandment, it forbids stealing in any form, but it also requires generosity and good stewardship. If you went the rest of life and never stole anything in any form, you could still break this commandment. Every commandment that has the thou shalt not can be flipped and we have the thou shalt. In this case, we see in the rest of scripture that obedience to this commandment, it doesn't lead to some sort of Life of neutral, non-stealing existence. Where you just kind of float on through. But it leads to generous giving. It leads to good stewardship. It leads to working faithfully. We're called to recognize God as provider. That He owns it all. And that He gives us enough. And that He is good in giving gifts to His children. And that we're given the responsibility to steward those gifts well. God calls us even to go beyond providing or shall we say sub providing for our families and to share with others who are in need. And that begins with the means that God has given us to provide which is work. Sometimes we tend to think of work in the sense of the curse after Genesis 3 and we certainly experience that part of the curse. We experience how hard work is and the sweat that comes with it. Yet we also need to remember that work was given to man before the fall. That we were given the responsibility to exercise dominion. To work and keep the ground and take care of God's creation. There is blessing in work. And it's the means that God has given us to help provide for ourselves and for others. There are several passages we could go here to here. Second Thessalonians 3 is a wonderful passage it implores us to work, to do what God has called us to do, to flee from idleness. In verse 10 of Second Thessalonians 3, it says, Paul says, when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And then in Ephesians 4.28, it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. And so there's gospel movement there for the thief who is caught up in stealing, to go from stealing to working and then to sharing. Because they have been Transformed. They have been changed by the amazing grace of God and God had called them to to stewardship and to generosity. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, it says this, "As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So Paul here again, he makes this matter of generosity, of money, of possessions. This is a spiritual issue. He says we must check our pride, check where our hopes are to not set them on the uncertainty of riches, but on God our certain provider. Then he carries it further. He says we got to be ready to do good, to be generous, to be ready to share because the true treasure is what is to come. Life eternal and abundant with God. So the gospel moves us to work and for that work to provide for ourselves, but also for others by sharing with those who are in need. So, we need to stop and ask ourselves a couple of questions here. What this morning is perhaps getting in the way of good stewardship and generosity? What's holding us back? Do we need to hear more about this um, command to work? Proverbs 21 25 and 26 says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hand refused to labor. All day long he craves and craves. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Or maybe we need to ask this question, is is it materialism? Do we have too much stuff? Have we got caught up in chasing a lifestyle that maybe we can't keep up with? Have we gotten stingy in some way rather than willing to share? So what would it look like this morning to if we made some kind of small change in our lifestyle to free up something that we might could share with those who are in need, so this morning we we've seen that the eighth commandment it reveals the heart of man towards God. We've seen it forbids stealing in any form, and it requires generosity and good stewardship. And we want to end on this note that it's the work of the gospel in our hearts. That God has given us and that he gives grace to thieves. He gives grace to those struggling with materialism. He gives grace to those who are stingy. There's a number of episodes from the scriptures that we could call upon here. You may think of Jacob, who among other things, stole a birthright. Yet was still somehow the foundation of God's people who carried his namesake, Israel. On the other hand, you might think of the rich young ruler who, talking to Jesus, professed obedience to this very commandment and others. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. Yet when told to give up his possessions and to follow Jesus, he could not do it. And he walked away. And Jesus was offering to set him free and to follow him into life abundant and eternal that he could not follow you may think of Zacchaeus the wee little man the wee little man was he right kids he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the lord he wanted to see Zacchaeus was a tax collector but in the very least this implied if not outright stated that he had committed some fraud and he would have been numbered among the thieves of his time he climbed up in the tree to see Jesus but we all know that Jesus saw him first right He says, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. And people grumbled about it. He's going to the tax collector's house, the sinner's house. But by the end, Jesus announces that salvation had come to that house, had come to the house of Zacchaeus, because Jesus had come to seek and to save the lost, to rescue them from their sin. You may also think here of the thieves on the cross with Jesus. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Grace to the thief. Who at the last moment had his eyes open to the reality of his sin, the justice of God's judgment. And he looked to the one who hung on the cross beside him as his only hope for life eternal and abundant and for salvation. And Jesus assures him. That at that moment, he will be with him for eternity. And this is our great hope that our salvation is not dependent upon our works. It's not dependent upon our goodness. It's certainly not dependent upon our stuff that we have because ultimately it's not ours. We don't have it. We are the thief. And it's by grace alone that we are saved. Through faith alone in Christ alone. To eternal life with God. And friends this comes at a great cost. And it's a cost that we could not pay. But Jesus paid it all for us. Isaiah 53.12 speaks of Jesus becoming numbered among the transgressors. And bearing the sins of many. Martin Luther has a wonderful reflection about this. He says Christ is innocent so far as his own person is concerned. Therefore, he should not have been hanged from the tree, but because according to the law, every thief should have been hanged. Therefore, according to the law of Moses, Christ should have been hanged for he bore the person of a sinner and a thief and not of one, but of all sinners and thieves. For we are sinners and thieves, and therefore we are worthy of death and eternal damnation. But Christ took all our sins upon himself, and for them, he died on the cross. Therefore, it was appropriate for him to become a thief. And as Isaiah says, to be numbered among the thieves. Friends, that's our hope this day, that Christ became numbered among the thieves. That he bore our sins on the cross. That he died for thieves. And he forgives all our sins. And he gives us eternal life. And he remembers us. Just as the thief asked for him to remember him, he remembers us. And he has called us into life eternal and abundant with him. And so now let's go to the table and let's remember him. And let's proclaim the great salvation that he has accomplished for us in his life, death and resurrection. And let's remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us that we would have life. Please pray with me. Father, we confess our sin to You. We confess our lack of contentment, our coveting hearts, the ways we find to, um, to steal. And Lord, we ask that You would transform us, that You would cause us to be those who are faithful stewards, who give generously, who share, who trust In your provision for us. We thank you that you have provided. All that we need in Christ. That he is the lamb sacrificed for us. And that we can come now. And that we can feast at your table. And We pray now that you would help us as we do so. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.